It is Wednesday, Wellness Wednesday in full effect, and that means our buddy Dr. Michael Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic is joining us. We're going to talk about his research that he shared with me, but I also need to ask Dr. Roizen some questions because there was so much weird, different, contradicting information in the last couple of days as it relates to the fight against the coronavirus, the pandemic, the COVID, whatever you want to call it. Dr. Royson, I'm glad you're back, my friend. Um, it's my privilege to be back, so to speak. It's always a privilege to talk to you. Well, we have a good time, and I hope we educate people. Uh, Doc, I talk to everybody about where they are in dealing with their own personal decisions about COVID and mandates and masks and vaccinations. And uh, yesterday there was a big story that said, the government of Israel has announced that the fourth shot, because they're giving a fourth shot, I guess a second booster, isn't effective against Omicron. And they're wondering what's the purpose of vaccine passports if it's not helping? Why are we doing this? Uh, I'm frustrated by all of this, and yet I'm double vaccinated and boosted. Um, where, Where is this? Is Israel, are they the leader in all this? Should we pay attention? Should we be paying attention to them? Well, they have been about uh, two or three months in front of the data from the rest of the world. And, and we're frustrated because science is moving quickly to analyze data. And consequently, the data are not consistent because the, if you will, GD virus, if I can abbreviate my feelings about it, um, is doesn't behave like a normal bacteria or a benign virus. So why we're getting the fourth shot isn't to protect us against Omicron. Omicron doesn't seem to have carry the same risks as if you get Delta or get a recurrence of Delta or recurrence of even the original Alpha version. So the reason that some people are considering getting reboosted, if you will, after six months is because their immunity is declining against the more serious Delta and Alpha variants. Okay. But the the problem is, if you will, um, Michael, we just don't have enough firm data. And it's not because um, we're, we're trying to guess. And as you know, um, we've, some things we can predict pretty well, such as we've done on the sh with you in predicting that there would be a recurrence now and that it would hopefully get enough people to get herd immunity. We don't know if it's going to get herd immunity. We don't know if Omicron is going to protect us if we get that against uh, Delta or the Alpha variant. But what we do know is that the death rates seem to be, and the hospitalization rates per the infections seem to be decreasing substantially. Hopefully, this also means that the long COVID from Omicron will decrease substantially. And if we're really lucky, and it takes a little luck, we'll get herd immunity. If not, we will have hopefully the antivirals that will keep us from getting seriously ill from this. So there are a lot of real hopes on uh, the um, horizon. 
Um, and the, the, the reason, again, for considering that fourth booster is against the more serious illness, not against the least serious one of Omicron. Okay, All right. that makes sense. And, you know, this is, this is a virus that is very slippery and it's a shapeshifter, if you will, and changes very quickly. That's why these variants are out there. But, Doc, the one thing that mystifies me Nobody talks about natural immunity. I I believe when we started this, we talked about the people who had COVID and survived would have natural immunity and likely not need to get even any vaccine. Is that now thrown out the window? Is natural immunity just completely a dead topic? It's not a dead topic, but at least as far as studying natural immunity, if you got infected with alpha, seems to fade within six to eight months. Hmm. Natural immunity with Delta fading even quicker and not being as effective against Omicron. So what the problem with natural immunity is, yes, you have it for a while, but it's fading much faster than the immunity that is the neutralizing ability, the ability to stop the infections Um, does not seem to be very long-lasting natural immunity. And that's, you know, the hope is that enough people get infected with Omicron that we get herd immunity. The problem, you know, is that if it exists in the deer and mouse population, it's going to be epidemic and come back and back and back until we develop either natural immunity or we get it like we get the flu shot as a routine yearly or even a twice yearly shot. Hmm. Well, Hong Kong announced yesterday that they had found uh, Omicron jumping from, uh, uh, I think it was hamsters. Hong Kong hamsters have been transmitting uh, Omicron to one another. So they're culling the herd of small animals in Hong Kong, which that's got to be just a horrifying thing anyway to begin with. But that's got to be a little worrisome. So if we have deer here and hamsters in Hong Kong, um, that means this thing could be doing just what you're saying. It's going to be around until we figure it out completely. Well, the, the real hope is, you know, and this is and, and I'm saying hope because we don't have enough data. The real hope is that either the Pfizer or another antiviral treatment comes up and the first day you get symptoms and get this diagnosed on a rapid test, you can take a pill for three days and not have any long-term symptoms or long-term sequelae. Hmm. If that's true, um, then we're gonna be okay even without the vaccine. If it's not true, we're gonna need vaccine boosters like we do get from the flu in a relatively routine way okay i I have one more question on covid i got i've carved a lot of time for you today i'm not going to shortchange your research doc because there's so much good stuff but there was a story that came out late last week and i i didn't ask you about it because the funding from the story seemed to support the positive conclusion from the story in other words the headline read that uh, cannabis helps block COVID-19 transmission. And I went, hold on a second here. And I read into it, and the group that funded the study, uh, which had this remarkable result for them, 
was uh, a group that was a pro-cannabis organization out of Oregon. But at the same time, a bunch of nuns who are known as the weed nuns. They're a bunch of, yeah, I know. It's a religious order, and they apparently are growing marijuana and making cannabis products from it. And they were like, see, we told you. We told you years ago. These are natural Natural solutions are the best. Have you heard anything about cannabis or cannabinoids blocking COVID from attaching to uh, the cells in our bodies? Um, I have not heard that. But, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is um, there may be, you know, wherever these stories come, there is a thread of truth and a thread of potential. And so you want to follow them up. You want to do what we call real trials to see if this is real or fake. That's why the, the studies with fluoroxetine, a mm-hmm. anti-OCD drug, a drug that helps OCD, that now has three um, randomized controlled trials, um, or three, it, one of them was not randomized it, took volunteers and, and non-volunteers, I think, at the Alameda County racetrack. But there are um, three studies now which seem to indicate a sizable um, benefit to this very inexpensive um, anti-OCD drug in stopping it. So the, the pursuit of these is not... Um, how do I say it, is is not without benefit. And hopefully um, we'll find whether there is a true benefit to this or not in the near future. Well, I hope they do. I'll, I'll send you copies of the story. The headlines basically read, there are compounds within marijuana that can block the coronavirus from enter- entering cells. And I do know if there is a... Uh, if there's a trial, a supported trial, a bunch of my old college roommates would sign up for this immediately so they could be a part of it. You know, I, I should tell you that uh, um, the easy way of getting those trials back in the 60s was to study in Golden Gate Park as we did on weekends. We did not know. Um, we didn't uh, light up, but we did inhale. Um <laughs> That is because it was wafing through the crowd. So you could have studied people in Golden Gate Park back in the old days and seen if they got it. And there is a large homeless community there now. So maybe uh, there is data on it now from uh, San Francisco epidemiologically. But of all the crazinesses, I mean, we just um, we just are really um, now getting a hold of with the antiviral treatments that look like they're successful um i think we're we're going to get uh ahead of this in the long run but but we need a few breaks as we said well we need that break that that long covid um does not arise from uh this um if you will just getting a few days of infection okay that, hopefully that's Good. So if you block the infection sooner, you block the long COVID. Uh, I ordered tests via the government website. Four tests per household will be shipped, and it's going to probably be a couple of weeks. Is it going to be too late for those tests, Doc, when they get here? You know, it really depends on whether this virus has another rendition of mutating 
and comes out um, to be a, how would I call it, um, to have a long-term um, ability to keep mutating. Um, and if it does keep mutating and you need to get a positive test to get the antiviral treatment, uh, then the test will never be too late. Okay, because I, I ordered them. We'll see if they get here on time. Let's look at some of the research oh, you had. Wait a second. Before hmm? you go any further, yeah. you got to tell me and tell your audience, how do you order them? What's the key to ordering them? Oh, it's a, it's a very simple thing. That uh, It's so simple even a caveman like me could do it. All you had to do was go to a, um, a government website. It's COVID tests. Dot gov c o v i d t e s t s dot gov covid tests dot gov and it's a very efficient website i have to tell you I'm, i was very surprised i went in bingo bango bongo where i got a nice uh, note and within seconds i got an email from the post office saying as soon as they're here we will ship them your way so uh, you can now, do it too now is it covidtest.gov or covidtest.org dot gov it was covidtest.gov. and ah, uh, that's the key. So you've got to know the .gov. Yeah, .gov, not .org. Uh, you might get something you completely don't while well, probably connected to the weed nuns somewhere in Oregon. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, Doc, so much great information you have this week on how you can live younger and live healthier and get control of your life, which is really important, especially now. And uh, I want to reiterate what you told us last week, that olive oil, olive oil, just a little bit of regular olive oil mixed into your diet can cut the risk for cardiovascular disease and several causes of death. Can you give us a short update on that? Yeah, so the, it is the data they looked um, in this large study of health professionals and nurses' health. And the reason we repeated it, it was so profound. Um, when you looked at it, and, and the first day it came out um, is the one I quoted before, so I wanted to get the full study. And the full study shows um, in this large 110,000-person study that if you got um, a half a tablespoon of any olive oil, it didn't have to be cold-pressed extra virgin, but if you said, and presumably um, that's what some of the people did because that's the higher quality um, olive oil, but if you got even a half tablespoon of um, imported uh, non-cold pressed, non-extra virgin olive oil and had that per day, half a tablespoon per day, you ended up, um, it turned out, uh, living, if you will, um, with 19% uh, um, less chance of dying from any cause, 17% less chance of dying from cancer. 29% of less chance of having dementia. So really impressive data um, for, um, uh, if you will, just that. Wow. So could we technically just take a tablespoon of olive oil in the morning and, and start our day? That's our olive oil vitamin? You only need half of it. Okay. All right. Half a tablespoon. So that's easy to to get down in the morning. It doesn't really taste like anything. That's so. Just think about that. Okay, and tied into this, you're always talking about mobility and movement and exercise. It doesn't take a lot of exercise to get a great benefit. I noticed something in here that stair walking for ten minutes could do great things for glucose, insulin, and insulin sensitivity. 
this is ridiculous, right? I, I used to run to train for squash. I used to run up 16 flights of stairs <laughs> at lunchtime. This is when I was at a um, young, if you will, medical student resident and then young faculty member to train for squash. I would run up in lunchtime, my 30 minutes, I would run up 16 floors, down 14, up 13, down 12, um, up uh, <laughs> 11, down 10, whatever, until I didn't have any more stairs to run, until it was one and one. Um, that was my training, and uh, somehow I avoided knee injuries and got in shape that way. Well, it turns out that all I would have needed to do to improve glucose control after a big meal would be to run up three minutes on stairs. One minute didn't do it. But three minutes to 10 minutes was even better than one minute at reducing your sugar level and normalizing insulin resistance, making uh, the diabetes uh, much less of a problem. So it's amazing. Just three minutes of stair walking um, in these, they were younger people, 26 to 30 year old volunteers who did the randomized crossover trial. So it was a trial. Well, um, and while you're saying we're talking, you, just to show you how okay. fast that government website or the uh, the ordering of the uh, at COVID test t e s t s dot gov works. Um, I was able to order them for that during this short period of time as well. You're a ninja, Doctor Roy. So that's unbelievable. Well done, and you're like a kitten on the keys, very light there. Typing in, that's excellent. Uh, I'm glad you did that. And I just want to stress here, because we talked about stair walking. You talked about stair running. This is stair walking. You don't have to be sprinting up the stairs for 10 minutes, do you? No. Okay, good. It's stair walking. Good. Excellent. Tying into that, um, number seven on your list, even a little exercise may help slow Parkinson's. What's a little exercise? Well, this was a little was, in their mind, four hours a week. Okay. So four hours of walking, which... If you looked at it, that's like doing, if you say, say you get, um, uh, uh, if you will, 6,000 steps an hour. So four hours would be, uh, four hours would give you 24,000 steps in a week. If you divide by seven, it's like 3,500 steps a day. So it's not very much. 30, it's 35 minutes a day of walking, decreased Parkinson's symptoms um, substantially. So even a little exercise. Now, in the real, in the studies, the randomized crossover studies that have been done, rapid foot movement on an exercise bike, 90 to 110 RPMs per minute, actually reversed Parkinson's what? in, in 33% of people. So that's some studies that, that happened. A guy, um, was doing a volunteer was on tandem bike with Parkinson's patients and he said I'll do this I'm training for the Olympics and he started doing that and did it at a fast rate and the Parkinson's patient who was on the tandem bike with him um, was tied into the same uh, frequency of movement of, of legs and she noted or they noted that when she got off the bike after he did an hour of this with her, um, she actually um, ended up with no Parkinson's symptoms for the next three days. 
That led to randomized controlled trials, and it was found out that 33% of, of Parkinson's patients who do this, and it's tough to do 90 to 110 RPMs voluntarily, so they built some electric, um, if you will, motors. They never had them that went that fast on uh, these exercise bikes, apparently. They built them, and that's a routine treatment now and reverses it for periods of time, even long-term, in patients with Parkinson's disease. And in the uh, studies of what they, the, the functional MRIs, they've noted a regrowth of neurons in the basal ganglia in those patients who get, those one-third of patients who get a reversion of their disease with this treatment. This phenomenal. And it, it, we're talking about not putting any medicine into somebody. We're just talking about physical activity. If you hold the cadence from 90 to 110, 120 revolutions, it's shown to reverse Parkinson's in 30%, 33% of the patients. That in itself should get people up and moving. Uh, I, I'm just stunned by that. Very good. Dr. Michael Royzen is with us. Doc, I want to hit two more things because I know I've kept you over time today. You're always talking about two things. It seems like you and I talk about these two things every other week, vaping and chickpeas. Uh, chickpeas, you're always saying you got you to gotta snack on chickpeas. Uh, what the heck are they and are they healthy? Chickpeas are garbanzo beans. Uh, one cup has about 14 and a half grams of fiber and 14 and a half grams of protein. They are incredibly healthy. They have all nine essential amino acids. And so what you do, get a can, drain the can, um, wash it a couple times, dry it on a paper towel, put a little, and put it in with your half uh, a tablespoon of olive oil in a big bowl. Mix it up with your favorite uh, spice. Mine might be curcumin um, for this. Uh, put them on a cookie sheet, 475 degrees. Turn it once um, when it looks like they're done. And then uh, put them, and they are a great snack. Huh. And they are healthier than heck. What were you going to ask me about? I forgot the subject now. The second question was secondhand vaping may be unhealthy. Oh. And will, will they yeah. ban vaping in public? Yeah, this is um, what they found when looking at the effects of secondhand vaping on illness in people. They studied it epidemiologically, a um, large group of people, and they found that just like secondhand smoke, secondhand vaping increases um, asthma and bronchitic symptoms hmm. to the same degree as secondhand smoke does. So the message is, should we ban vaping in public? like we ban smoking in public places. Well, I, I would vote for that because I just think vaping looks stupid. And it's just my personal opinion. But I've, I always laughed at the people in the office who used to pull out their vape pen every 10 minutes and go, and then blow the steam up into the air. And it just, it just looks silly to me. So anything to get that banned in public, I'm, I'm all for it, Doc. I'm totally in on this one. And, and we'll be helping everyone. Uh, his name's Dr. Michael Royzen. He's with me wherever I am on the radio. And we, uh, we handle all kinds of health topics. And I'm, I'm so happy and thankful you're with us, Dr. Royzen. Let's do this again next week, can we? Absolutely. Thanks. 